I would just want to welcome the listeners we have right now. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited to provide a little hope and optimism today. Um, keep the eye on the prize of what our end goal is. I know it gets kind of bleak at times and seems like change isn't, it isn't possible is what it seems like, but we have to keep in mind that what we're fighting for is just and it's right. And we need to remember what we are fighting for to help us stay, help us stay true and, and strong. So well said, Rob. And uh, let's just, uh, let's get going. And then we'll, um, people will come in as they do. And as we know, most people listen uh, after we record, <laughs> they listen throughout the week. Uh, so welcome everyone. And thank you for joining us on Colin for our new show, Unruly with Ryan and Rob. Uh, this is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined by our other co-host, Rob Bermudez. How's everyone doing today? And uh, just a little housekeeping. Uh, next week, we are going to be joined by one of the organizers from uh, the Amazon Labor Union. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, but this week, it's actually just Rob and I. Uh, and uh, when I reached out to Rob uh, a few days ago about what to discuss on today's episode, uh, he said, well, instead of just reacting to the shitty and corrupt world that we have right now, why don't we lead with the world we want to see? And Rob, thank you. I thought that was such a good idea. Uh, so thank you for for that. You know, uh, it's so easy to be doom and gloom uh, with the current state of U.S. politics. Uh, but that's really, really what the ruling class wants, right, is for the people to just give up and uh, submit to our uh, corrupt system instead of finding ways to come together and fight for a better one. You know, they, they, they want us to feel powerless, but the people are powerful uh, when we come together and fight for our collective liberation. And we can just look uh, what just a few workers uh, started one year ago on Staten Island in New York. You know, just a few workers and Chris Smalls got together and in one year beat one of the most powerful uh, corporations in the world and formed Amazon's first union. Uh, so, you know, it is possible, uh, the people can real win, the people can win real victories, uh, if we work together and organize in our communities together and organize in our workplaces. So, uh, today on our show, instead of focusing on how bad things currently are, we want to talk about how good things could be if we keep fighting for a better world, uh, where dignity and justice for all people is a reality. So Rob, why don't you start off? Uh, and, you know, what does your ideal world look like? Uh, and then I'll share kind of what mine looks like. And then we're going to open it up to our callers because we really want to hear from you guys today uh, on what, you know, our ideal world should look like. So, Rob, yeah. go ahead. Thanks, Ryan. You know, it, it all kind of the idea popped up because um, at work the last week I've been talking to some coworkers and you know, mentioning my my views on communism, my ideals for what society can be. And it really makes you kind of refocus your your ideas and your mentalities on, okay, what are we actually fighting for? And when you say it out loud, it, it doesn't sound crazy. It doesn't sound out of reach. It sounds like there's some really tangible things that we can get done in a very short period of time and address a, a society that is very unjust and and we can fight towards things that are that sh are human rights and should be seen as human rights especially in this country so you know the baseline kind of thing is guaranteed food guaranteed housing guaranteed health care guaranteed clean water uh, guaranteed clean air um, but when I when I try to think about like what would if I could close my eyes and envision 
an ideal situation. I think it really does address consumerism. And we, you know, I, I don't think most people enjoy working 40 or more hours a week. I, I think that people do it because they're conditioned that they have to. Uh, 40 hours a week was won by huge labor struggle decades and decades and decades and decades ago. And it was better than the conditions were before. But if we really think about what society should be, I think focusing on sustainability, focusing on a sense of community and compassion um, is, is very important to me. And making sure that we're not just creating a bunch of jobs where you go and you put eight hours of your life in, you feel like you're getting nothing from it. You're just collecting a paycheck so that you can keep a roof over your head. So you can keep your family fed. I think that a lot of what we do in, in our day-to-day -day life is just kind of survival mode. And I really do love to think about like, if, if the world was formed in my vision, I think that we would have a lot less people working um, a lot less hours worked. I think that we would root out a lot of this needless consumerism that causes us to constantly be producing, producing, producing. And then we got to have these stores that are open all the time so that you can consume, consume, consume. And we could focus more on a, a, a way of life that I think was a lot closer to what like indigenous peoples have done for thousands and thousands of years before capitalism even came along about like, you know, you make sure you have enough food for yourself. You make sure that you are able to, to house yourself, but then it's, it's enjoying your community. It's, it's living, it's loving, it's art, it's passion. You know, it, it doesn't have to just be a world that, that requires so much of you just to get by that you can't focus on the things that actually make you happy. And I think for a lot of people asking themselves the question, well, what even makes me happy anymore can be kind of startling because we spend so much time thinking like, well, I don't have time to do the things I want to do because Monday through Friday, I'm working, working, working. And then Saturday, I need a day off just to decompress because my, my body hurts, my mind hurts. And then Sunday, well, okay, I got to do a bunch of chores. I got to make sure that the place I'm living in is, is cleaned up. I got to start mentally preparing for work the next week. And we're expected to do that you know, 50, 51 out of 52 weeks of a year. And we're expected to do that for decades and decades at a time until we get to a point where we're old enough to retire. And for a lot of people, that age is the number is going up and up if they even reach retirement. So, yeah, you know, I, I think finding a way. I thought of that just real quick. I, I thought of that meme because what you're saying is so spot on, but there's that meme that went viral a few years ago. And it's like, you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism. You know, it's like every time that Monday rolls around and, you know, it's, you know, what you say is so true. It, 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 in so many ways, we feel so disconnected from each other, from kind of what our true purpose is. And I think a lot of our lives are spent just like, like struggling to survive just to meet our basic needs and and now we're seeing that it's even it's even harder you know the system is is pressing down more and more on the poor and working class that it's like having a dignified life in America is now is is out of reach for most people and uh and just the statistics are bearing that out when six you know 68% of the country can't afford a $600 emergency yet you have Joe Biden on TV saying the economy is booming like what? Like who? Who is this economy booming for? Because most workers' wages aren't even keeping up with the rising cost of living and inflation. So we're so disconnected. Uh, our leaders uh, and both political parties are so disconnected from the reality uh, of the people uh, and from our communities. Yeah, and I think it would be great to see if people were polled consistently. How much do you like your job? How much value does your job give you? 
Is it a job that gives you some sort of satisfaction? You feel like you're doing something to help your community, to help the world, or is it just, Hey, I'm going in and I'm, I'm just trying to cash that check so that I can get by. I think the results would be kind of grim and, and depressing. And I think one of the ways we see that is, um, it's oftentimes now being called like the great resignation where you have a lot of people that are just quitting their jobs. Cause they're saying, look, I don't make enough money to keep putting up with this, to keep putting up with bosses that want to force me to return to work on a computer where they're blocking. I can only go on three websites to do my job. And they say, if you take too many bathroom breaks, we're going to write you down. You know, the, the, the situation where labor feels like it's got so little leverage couldn't be further from the truth. These, these people truly need labor to, to make their money. They need labor to survive. And I think that it's, I'm hoping that with the increase of unionization around the country, people are starting to realize that this is like a, a sleeping giant, you know, like labor has been suppressed for decades and decades. We've seen unionship go down. We've seen wages go down. I would love to see the labor unions and, and just, the regular working class Americans step up and, and kind of lead this, the start of this change that I think can get us to a world that is so much more close to what people want. I don't think the average person wants all the, the, the big dream of having a big house and fancy cars and all these things. People are realizing that even when you do everything quote the right way, oftentimes those, those things aren't even within your reach. And the cost of that is that, just getting by has become so much harder and there are no social safety nets. If you have a system and you just encourage everyone, we'll try to make as much as you can. Now that's always going to come at someone else's expense. A, a, a boss can only make money because they're stealing the wages from, from the labor in which they employ. So I really do hope there is a new awakening in the mindset of the working class people to say, Hey man, enough is enough. And if we start getting some material gains in this Maybe we can start seeing some material gains for healthcare movements, for climate justice movements. And, you know, ultimately, I think the thing that people want is just stability and security. And when you get sold this, essentially this lie that the American dream that, hey, man, you know, you can have everything you want. You can have all the wealth in the world. That sounds so good and so appealing to some people, but. A lot of the younger generations, like myself included, I'm only 28, but like I would love to have security. I would love to know I could never make a million dollars a year or $500,000 a year or however much money. As long as I had a roof over my head, a job that wasn't overworking me, that made me feel like I was contributing to a community and to society, like that's enough for me. I don't need big, fancy, shiny things, but um, you know, it's, it's kind of just, I think people are afraid to to think bigger and to ask for more and to be creative. They've been told their whole life, well, this is the way we do it. And it's just now occurring to some people that no, you actually can question. The only reason things are the way they are is, is because of very recent history and those things can be changed. No, that's, that's very well said, Robin. And, and look, you know, our current world is organized solely around maximizing the profits of multinational corporations regardless of the consequences that it causes to our people, our communities, and our planet. Like, that is really, if you just step back and look at our current world uh, order, uh, and you look at our economy, <laughs> Western oligarchs and governments have basically said that the single most important thing on this earth is maximizing uh, the profitability of corporations at any cost. And 
right now we're seeing that for for millions of people that cost is just too great to bear so my ideal world is one that instead of being organized around maximizing profits of corporations it's organized around meeting the basic needs of our people our communities uh, and our planet and i've said this before and i'll say it a thousand more times that i would much rather live in a society where everyone has healthcare housing and a habitable planet and food uh, than, than our current society where just three billionaires uh, hoard more wealth than half of our entire nation and a world where just 50 billionaires hoard more wealth than approximately 60% of our entire planet. And this is the world that, that capitalism has produced, right? Where currently uh, the most important decisions in our society that directly impact our communities are made by corporations, uh, billionaire CEOs, and the corrupt politicians who do their bidding. And these folks are completely disconnected uh, from the communities and from the people uh, who their decisions are impacting. You know, uh, these corporations and politicians are, ba are making their decisions solely on one thing, and that's to increase their wealth at all costs. Uh, even if that means shipping jobs overseas, even if that means waging these endless for-profit wars, uh, even if that me that means destroying our planet and, and any hope for a sustainable future for the next generation, uh, even if that means depriving people of the basic needs like healthcare and housing that are required to not only survive, but to live a dignified life. And that is why, uh, you know, I believe that the that the best people uh, to make the most important decisions in our society are not billionaire CEOs or politicians uh, who get rich off serving corporate interests, but the people themselves. You know, nobody knows what's best for our communities than the people who live in them. And, and nobody knows what's best uh, for the working class and for the workers th than the working class themselves. Uh, so that is why, you know, in my ideal world, or I should say in our ideal world, it's the people uh, and the working class, not the ruling class who would own the means of production uh, and, and the industries which shape our society. You know, in our ideal world, every workplace is not just unionized, uh, but democratized and socialized, which which would mean that, you know, the board of directors is not comprised of a bunch of out of touch, greedy billionaire CEOs, but instead is made up of everyday working class people who would make decisions uh, that benefit our collective society. Uh, you know, so in my ideal world, instead of looking uh, to billionaire CEOs and politicians to, to save us or to be our saviors, which on its face is ridiculous because uh, their only interest is enriching themselves. So, you know, in my ideal world, we should be looking and turning to each other uh, to build a world that meets our basic needs and is not structured in a way where the labor of the poor and working class is exploited uh, to enrich uh, the handful of oligarchs who control the world economy. And, and I just want to add, too, that, you know, since historically the state uh, or the government has been used by the ruling class is really the main uh, mechanism to enforce the class divide in our society and, and to suppress the working class. In my ideal world, uh, where the people uh, and the working class uh, uh, really control the industries, uh, the state would eventually wither away. Uh, now, to most people, this probably sounds like a 
I, you know, like a utopian pipe dream. But in my heart, uh, I believe that the people are growing tired uh, of living in a world that is mired by greed and war and conflict. Uh, you know, also that a handful of oligarchs can have more wealth and power than any one person should ever have. Um, and in my heart, I believe that every person on this planet deserves to be free and, and deserves to be liberated from the oppressive governments and exploitative uh, corporations who control them and, and who control uh, our world. So, you know, I do believe that uh, this world is possible if enough people come together and fight for it. And, and, and I just want to add that it's not only it's not only about money and power for these uh, billionaire CEOs and for the government, it, it, it's it's about control. You know, they use the government, they use um, their capital uh, to control uh, the masses, to control the population, to get everyone to obey the system. And and for me, for many years, for most of my life, you know, what I'm 41 now, I did obey. You know, I I, I was. You know, I would up until three years ago, I would call myself a capitalist, but it wasn't until I realized what the price of obeying this system really was that I started to wake up. What what I didn't realize was all the people that were being exploited uh, for the capitalist class. What I didn't realize is is the destruction to our planet that was happening for uh, the capitalist class. What I didn't realize were were the indigenous and marginalized communities that were being uh, pushed down, especially abroad, uh, with all these endless wars that were being pushed down and bombed upon just to enrich the capitalist class back here at home. So when I finally could kind of see the consequences of our system and see how destructive it was for our planet, it got me inspired to want to like learn about socialism, learn about the history of it, and then to see that like. For a century now, there's been a group of of people who capitalists call radical, but who have been fighting for this better world and who've been fighting for a world that is free of oppression and exploitation and free of of, of imperialism and all these endless wars. And it's really um, the capitalists have succeeded because of the because of the the government because of controlling the state and also because of the media apparatuses that the capitalist class has been able to buy and through that they've really been able to control the majority of the population and get the majority of the population to obey this very this the various system that oppresses them but what i think we're seeing now um in, in the last decade and 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 especially in the last five years is people are starting to wake up they're starting to see uh, that this system is not working for us, and the only people it's working for is the people it was designed to work for, uh, which is the capitalist class and the ruling class. So, you know, as doom and gloom as the world feels, I also feel just an enormous amount of hope and revolutionary optimism uh, in seeing the victories uh, like the Amazon labor union a few weeks ago and seeing uh, someone like Shama Savant, the first independently elected socialist in this country in like 70 years, seeing that, that through a fighting movement in Seattle – uh, where, uh, you know, one of the biggest capitalists in the world, Jeff Bezos, has really changed the makeup of that city and where 
housing is no longer affordable uh, and where the working class is really struggling to make ends meet, uh, which is the city I grew up in, seeing, you know, Shama Savant and Socialist Alternative, they won a $15 wage back in 2014. And we still haven't won that at the federal level. Uh, they also just won a, a wealth tax on Amazon to pay for uh, community housing and, and social housing. So seeing that, like, you can win real victories uh, in our communities if the people come together if we fight together, if we uh, believe in each other and believe that, that a better world is possible, we can uh, fight back against this decrepit system. And so that's really what inspires me just on a daily basis. And I try to use the platform that that the people gave me, um, my Twitter account and just the, the podcast. And now Colin graciously, you know, wanting to host our podcast. I try to use that to just encouraging people to continue to wake up and continue to understand that we don't have to be disconnected from each other anymore. We don't have to keep, you know, competing, uh, against each other, you know, for what, right? What's the prize here? You know, like, is the prize to just accumulate as many things and have the biggest house? And, and what is that prize if it eventually ends up leading to the destruction of our planet and ultimately our species? Like, why are we, what are we all competing for? Like, what is this rat race really doing for society, for the planet, for the people? And I think when you realize there's not much value in our system beyond just maximizing the wealth of corporations and you don't have to play that game anymore, the people can play, can, we can play our own game and we can, we can uh, start to fight uh, with each other and for each other. I think that's when you start to see that like, it is possible to build a better world. We don't have to allow this system to destroy us. And, you know, I'm just, I, I again, I'm humbled and grateful to just be in, uh, in a movement with, with so many, um, uh, humble and generous people. Um, and, uh, and for all the people who came before us, you know, the Eugene Debs uh, of the world who, you know, ran for president from jail, you know, and fought for socialism in a time uh, where, you know, the capitalists were just starting to get their power. And now we're in a time where, you know, we need more than ever to fight uh, against capitalism and against imperialism, because it's really, it, it's starting to just uh, cause people to not be able to have dignified lives. And I think that's what this is about. It's about a world where peace and um, people and communities come before profits. It's, it's that simple. I would love to hear what Betsy has to say. I'm going to see if I can add you to the take next caller. Ryan, you might have to do it because for whatever reason, my phone is not letting me. Let's see. There, there we, we go. go. Now she's added. Betsy, why don't you unmute yourself? And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yes. Hey, Betsy. Excellent. Hey, um, Ryan, I've been a fan of yours for a couple of years now. Um, and I'm, I'm so excited to see you guys have the show on Colin. Um, and I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are um, about how much to put into electoral politics versus how much we should all be putting into direct action, mutual aid, those sort of things. And I realize it doesn't have to be one or the other. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, but I'm just, I'm just feeling really, I, I was, you know, big Bernie supporter. <clears throat> I've worked on, um, volunteered on a lot of really like hyper local um, campaigns and, and um and issue campaigns 
um, like, like ballot initiatives. Um, and, <clears throat> and I'm just, I'm really burnt out, <laughs> you know, like I worked on, um, trying to get ranked choice voting. I live in Massachusetts. That would be, you know, that would have been such a huge step toward getting, um, greens, socialists, other, you know, just unenrolled, um, unaffiliated politicians in office, but it didn't pass here. And it was really embarrassing. I mean, I, I think they really botched the campaign. It didn't help that the voting was during the pandemic, but I, I don't think that's, that's a great excuse. Um, you know, and if it could pass in Alaska and Maine, then, then why not in Massachusetts? And I know the reason why the, ne- the Democrats don't want it. <laughs> Plain and simple. The establishment Dems are afraid. Um, so given all that and just the burnout, and I'm feeling it and so many other like friends of mine. Um, and then I, st- I have friends who are convinced that they can stick it out and change the Democratic Party from, from within. And I'm tired of arguing with them about it. And I don't want to lose friendships over it. Um, so, you know, so I sort of pick my battles there. Um, but I'm more interested in direct action and mutual aid and those sort of things. But again, there's, there's a burnout. And I guess I, I wonder how much um, can really, you know, how much we can move forward as a society with, with just that and not having the electoral piece. And I'm, and I'm totally, I'm done with the squad. I'm done, like all of that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm totally hundred percent on board with what, the things that you say, Ryan, because I, I totally agree. And I was snowed over for years and I believed that, that I could change the democratic party from within. And and I saw what they did to Bernie and other people I, I respect and I'm like, I'm done with it. So um, I'll put myself on mute now so you can respond. But I'm just kind of curious, you know, because I'd like to share your sense of optimism. I really would. Um, but I just worry if we can't turn things around in the next, you know, few years, then we're really screwed, you know, with climate change and everything else. The rest won't won't even matter. Uh, Betsy, thank you so much for, for your call and, and for all your insight. Cause I think what you, what you're saying is really kind of the core, uh, of the issue right now, kind of in the socialist movement and the progressive movement is it, it is very hard to build the kind of movement nationally that we would need to win, um, you know, a campaign electorally, uh, you know, with a third party. If you've got people who are still buying into this idea uh, that you can that you can change a party from within that is owned by Wall Street, right? That like you're somehow going to uh, change the Democratic Party, which is a party since its inception has been a capitalist party, has been an imperialist party, has been a right wing party. You know, we have two right wing parties in this country. One right wing party is honest about the fact that it's a right wing party, and then we have another right-wing party that I find as even more dangerous because it lies about the fact that and poses as a left-wing party to get people's votes and get people to buy into our corrupt duopoly when the Democrats are a right-wing party by every single measure, right? The platitudes that Obama and Hillary and Pete Buttigieg and Barack Obama and, and Kamala Harris, the platitudes they say on TV does not make them left. They just say whatever they need to say on TV to get votes. And then as soon as they get power, like we're seeing right now, they govern uh, uh, to preserve the status quo and to enrich their corporate donors and, and to funnel more money to the military and police 
and and to uh, Wall Street. So that's why we're seeing now with Democrats controlling the House, Senate uh, and White House that uh, nothing has fundamentally changed. And, and in, in many ways, things have gotten worse uh, for the working class because of the rising cost of living and because corporations are uh, making more profits than ever. And 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 last year actually was the was the biggest year for corporations since 1950, and um, none of that is transferring down to the workers. And uh, the costs are going up, and wages aren't uh, uh, aren't going up enough to to meet the rising costs that people have. And I think this is what people need to be clear about: is the Democrats and Republicans are the ones who passed the policies that have enabled these corporations to reap these ridiculous profits, right? So when people say, oh, it's corporate greed, yeah, it's corporate greed, but it's the Democrats' policies in collaboration with the Republicans that and the, and, and the laws they've passed that are rigged and, and that prop up the corporations. So it, what I see a lot of Democrats try to defend, you know, uh, the inflation or the, the rising cost of living and say, well, it's corporate greed. Yeah, it is corporate greed, it, but it's the policies of the Democrats that have enabled this corporate greed. Uh, and so a lot of people don't make that connection. Uh, but what I think you bring up, Betsy, is, is a good point that uh, we don't have to pick if it's fighting for a, a third party electorally or uh, if it's protest and direct action, we need to do all of the above. We need to. Uh, we should not end any friendships over politics, as hard as that is. Uh, you know, I am someone who just is very outspoken with with what I believe, and I'm very passionate. And so, unfortunately, like that rubs people the wrong way, and I'll get people sending me private messages and say like, "I can't believe you," and da 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 da. da. And it, like, I I don't burn any bridges. I just this is what I believe. I believe. Another day wasted on trying to reform the Democratic Party is a day that we could be spending on building up the Green Party or a socialist party or uh, fighting for ranked choice voting, which don't stop fighting for that because that is important. You know, the 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 we have to keep fighting locally um, at the state level and at the federal level. And uh, when people say that, like, a third party is a pipe dream, it can never happen. That's actually not true. Like. And this kind of ties in, you know, there's rumblings because one of Bernie's uh, advisors uh, put out an article in the Washington Post this week saying that Bernie might run for a third time. And what I find so interesting about it is that you only need a 15 percent approval rating nationwide to qualify for the presidential debates. So that is like one of the ways they block out third party candidates. But. Someone like Bernie, like I won't vote for Bernie if he runs as a Democrat. Like I refuse to watch him get screwed over again uh, and and have the process rigged against him for a third time. But if someone like Bernie, who has a high name ID and who's very well liked nationally, if someone like him found the courage to run third party and run as an independent socialist, he will meet the 15 percent approval rating to get on the debate stage in the general election. And then if you can get someone like that on the debate stage against the two corporate party candidates, then you have people all over the country who don't marinate in the, in the stuff like we do, who only pay attention to politics, you know, during, you know, during the presidential election and, and during the general election. You'll have them get to see a real kind of independent, socialist, populist, someone who's fighting for the workers. You get to hear their message contrasted with the two BS, you know, messages from the two corporate parties. And who are the people going to pick? They'll probably pick the one who's like on their side, which would be like a Bernie type. So that's what we get when people like AOC and the squad and Bernie refuse to go independent and refuse to break free from the corporate controlled Democratic Party. 
What we, the reason it hurts some of us so deeply is because they are taking away the opportunity for the movement to gain more followers, to gain more impact, to win an election, and then to make the changes legislatively that we need to make. Because we're never going to get Medicare for all. We're never going to get a Green New Deal. We're never going to get any socialist policy that helps the people so long as it's the Democrats or Republicans who are in control of the levers of power. The Democrats will always use platitudes and just, you know, they will always deceive the people with platitudes, but they will never actually fight for the people legislatively and give victories for the people. And so that is why I left the party after I voted for Bernie in the 2020 primary. And I I, I voted green in in the 2020 general. And I've continued to um, try to find what the best third party is. Right now, it's the Green Party because we don't really have anything else. Um, I think the Green Party is you know, could be improved in many ways. I've tried to to, to voice my opinions on that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's up for the movement. It's up for the people democratically to make these decisions that we need to make. It's not up for any one person to kind of act as like, this is what we need to do. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I really appreciate your question. I think we're in a time of great flux, meaning like there's a lot happening. And I think you know, at any one moment, a lot could change. You know, I think it was Lenin who said, you know, there, there's, there's some uh, weeks when nothing happens or years when nothing happens. And then there's weeks when everything happens and everything changes. And I do think we're at a moment in history where we can see real changes. We just don't really know the right vehicle yet. So let's keep chipping away, uh, supporting, you know, I support Socialist Alternative in Seattle. There, Shama Savan is doing an amazing job at the local level there. She's supporting all the Starbucks workers who are uh, striking right now. I support the Amazon Labor Union in New York. I support the Green Party. I support um, PSL. I've had spoken with some PSL candidates on the show. I support Socialist Alternative. I mean, I'll support any independent party that wants to fight for the working class. But the two ruling class parties who fight against us, I can't support them anymore. And I don't think Bernie and the squad should either. Rob, do you want to add anything? Uh, you know, I think the important thing, uh, I, I'm someone who likes to have political conversations. I know it's not what everyone's comfortable with. Um, but I think education at the end of the day is, is what's really important because a lot of people are so conditioned to believe a certain thing. And they're so conditioned to think that, well, the, the material conditions, what we have, it's the best we can do, or, oh, this is the only system we've ever had. And, you know, it's it's not always being able to talk to someone and then having them completely agree with you on everything, but just kind of planting that seed of doubt of like a lot of the things that you were told. I'm pointing out I, I have some receipts very much about <laughs> well, you you think that there's no there was only breadlines under communist uh, Soviet Union, but like what about the one in six children in the United States in 2021 in 2022? that are that are going hungry right like how how some of these things they don't get told they don't see things from the same perspective we do and so it is a grind to try to like break through to people but i think leading with compassion and empathy has really been um effective for me when i talk to people um i always try to like center it around like the the reason that i believe these things is that like the good of humankind. It is to be humane. It is to be smart. And, you know, some of these policies like Medicare for all, for example, you got multiple ways you can approach it. It's genuinely the right thing to do to have everyone be insured. And then there are those people that need to hear, Oh, and by the way, it would save a bunch of money. 
Like you would pay a little extra in taxes, but then you wouldn't have to pay your premiums out of pocket. And then you, it ends up saving you money. Oh, and it would also save the government money because if we didn't have all these different systems and all these administrators. So there's a lot of different appeals to people, but I think just kind of cracking down when, when people are under a certain belief. And I think Ryan, you and I can both attest to this. Like when you think that, you know, everything that the Democrats were saying, oh, this is true and it's just the Republicans bad. And then all of a sudden, the first time someone tells you something that kind of goes against your beliefs that you'd previously believed in and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're telling me the Democrats aren't good or you're telling me they don't support this? And it's like, well, they might have said it, but then they turned around and here are the, the actual votes and they clearly didn't support a policy. Um, it, it can be really hard on people. And especially I think that one of the biggest issues we have now is there's this huge movement under the Bernie Sanders campaigns in 2016 and 2020 that got a lot of people that feel like they just weren't seen, they weren't feeling hopeful, they they were sold that like a better world is possible, and I agree with it. And I think there are people that are still clutching on their hope that like, well, a Bernie will save us or an AOC will save us. But the unfortunate thing is is that sounds great. That sounds like the easiest solution is to get a couple electoral wins and things will change, but at the end of the day, too, we have to realize that a lot of the the changes we've seen historically in this country, some of the largest changes that we've had when it comes to legislation have not come because of a single politician saving the day. It's been like grassroots. It's been the people of this country pushing yep. the politicians. And so I, I think there's people who deep down they, they might know that like, you know, running in the Democratic Party it well, you know, it's the best chance we have to win. Okay, and then you win, and then what? And then you don't want to do the right thing because you're afraid of of stepping on your fellow Democrats' toes. Like I live in California, and I tried organizing for single payer here. AB fourteen hundred was the piece of legislation that was written by the um, by the state legislature, and you know it was really frustrating that at the last minute, it didn't even get a vote because Ash Carla pulled it. And he was the, the author of the bill, right? He was supposed to be the one that was writing it, the main driving force. California has an unvetoable supermajority of Democrats in the House or in the, the state Senate and the state legislature. And there's a Democratic governor. And we've seen this is not the first time California has pushed for single payer. And every time it's been the Democrats that have stopped it, whether it was the Speaker of the House in California, not letting it get to a vote or Ash Carla pulling it. And, you know, the, the excuse he gave was, well, there were some people that they weren't going to vote yes this time. And if, you know, if I worked on them, I could get them a vote for the a yes vote for the next time. But what you saw was very clearly a calculated political move to not expose his fellow Democrats. And even if he's considered a progressive Democrat, he was still the one that pulled that piece of legislation from even getting to a vote. So we could see on the record, you voted against this, you voted against this, you voted against this. And I think it would have exposed a lot of Democrats in, in California who might say, yeah, I believe in this, but they don't want to have to go on paper and say, yes, I voted against it. And it's, it's frustrating. So if we can educate people to think that a better world's possible, if we can tell people envision what you would want in a world, um, I think that's the, the best way to give hope. And like I said, education, education, education to kind of break people out of these these like mental chains that, that, that we've been conditioned in. Like 
you, you don't learn about the atrocities of humankind in school to the to the length you need to like when we constantly talk about the united states and well you know 40 years ago the average person had it better although that might be true the average person in america might have had it better it's always come through exploitation in the global south and so understanding that it's not just about what happens in this country but it's about what happens in countries all over the world i think the the biggest thing that would lead us to the world that we want to live in is global solidarity it is diplomacy it's not agitating extra wars it's the diplomatic option it's choosing to not use your resources to blow something up that will continue to destroy the environment it's to to choose to work together and say how are we going to come together and stop climate change from wreaking not just my country but your country and every other country so that's kind of a very broad addressing multiple points but I think, you know, it is possible to break through to people. It just, it takes some time. And no, you, I think you nailed a lot of the points, Rob. And I think the other thing Betsy brought up, and, and I'm grateful for Betsy for the fact that you are fighting for ballot initiatives, that you are fighting for uh, things like ranked choice voting. Um, because I think one of the... One of the things that destroys movements, and I think one of the things that 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 is holding the so socialist and progressive movement back in our country, in the United States, is look, Bernie is the one who woke me up. I will always be grateful for that. But I noticed, especially after the 2020 primary, when, when things didn't go the way we thought they would, I noticed quickly that there's a part of the movement that wanted to continue to kind of have this cult-like devotion, I even want to say, to people like AOC and the squad and Bernie. And that's not even what Bernie taught us. What 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 Bernie taught me back in 2016, all of us, is to fight, uh, you know, for the dignity and justice we all deserve, to fight for the policies, right? To fight for everyone in this country to have health care, to fight to end the endless wars, to, to, to fight for the socialist world we deserve. So any movement that wants to put politicians and political figures over the actual people and policies that the movement is supposed to be fighting for, that's what destroys movements. And I think we've really seen that. And I think I would say the reason that happened, it's not directly because of Bernie. What it, what it is, is it's the Democratic Party. They co-opted Bernie's movement. They rigged the primary system against him. And again, we have direct evidence of this in the lawsuit that... that uh, uh, a bunch of Bernie people from 2016 filed against the DNC and in the court of law, like this should have been the moment that all progressives left the democratic party. But again, our media ecosystem doesn't report on this kind of stuff, but in this lawsuit, the judge, or excuse me, the lawyer for the DNC argued in court that they did not owe the democratic primary voters and even handed and fair and, and impartial primary election and that they could go in the back rooms and the back cigar filled rooms and pick the candidates like they used to. Basically you had the DNC lawyer admit that they don't offer the public democracy, that they don't offer the public a fair primary, that they will rig it for their corporatist candidate to preserve uh, our decrepit capitalist system at any cost. And that's what they did to Bernie, uh, two, two cycles in a row. So for the fact that people would still think that like we can save our democracy or bring any kind of, uh, you know, dignified and just world uh, and, and transform our society by supporting the Democrats and supporting the, this party that is anti-democratic, that 
uh, told us they, they, they don't offer fair primaries that told, they also sued to kick the green party off of the ballot. Like every action from the Democrats has showed us that they are just as undemocratic as the Republican party. They're just sneakier about their authoritarian authoritarianism and, and their anti, uh, uh, democratic stances, because at the same time, they're doing all these covert actions. They're also telling people, oh, healthcare is a human right and climate change is real. And they're kind of sedating people with platitudes to pretend like they're on our side, kind of posing as our allies. So all, all that, what I'm trying to say is like any movement that's that's going to be grassroots, that's going to fight for the working class must remain independent from both corporate parties. And it must continue to fight for the policies, right? It has to fight for the people. It has to fight for the socialist policies and not fighting to defend AOC when she makes a bad vote and fighting to, you know, defend Bernie if he decides to, you know, once again, run in a democratic primary when we've seen exactly what's going to happen. So I think we're at that time too, where people have to be brave. You know, if you want a better world, you have to fight for it. You have to take risk. You have to do everything you possibly can. And I know everyone has a different purpose. I happen to be given a pretty big platform, so I try to use it. And and look, I wish that we could reform the Democratic Party. It'd be much easier. But we've seen now for decades what the Democrats will do. You know, we already know what they're going to do the next cycle. That's going to be if Biden doesn't run, they're going to rig it for Kamala. And that's going to be the chosen corporate candidate they anoint. And then eight years from now or four years from now, it's going to be Pete Buttigieg. They're going to shove him down our throat. They are going to continue to pretend to care about marginalized communities by kind of co-opting identity politics and using identity politics to say, look, you know, we're going to elect the first gay president. And over here is a gay man who cares about all marginalized communities. I don't give a crap if if we have a gay president, like someone like Pete Buttigieg, if he's just going to go in there and feed the people empty platitudes and then govern for Wall Street and govern to preserve this corrupt system. So we're well beyond the point of continuing to pretend like the solution uh, is in the Democratic Party. The If you want to continue this to capitalist and imperialist system that's what you're going to get from supporting the democrats go ahead and support the democrats that's what you'll get you'll get a party that tries to get the people to obey and and the last thing i'll just add is that's what we saw in 2020 and that really was my big awakening is they weren't they didn't care about donald trump they they weaponized the fear of donald trump to get people to obey and submit to their corrupt corporate party. Because you can fight against Trumpism and you can fight against Trump and also fight for policies to bring relief to the people, right? You can do both. But it was never the DNC and Biden and, and Kamala and Buttigieg. It was never about fighting for both. They were always just using Trump and using the fear of Trump to get people to submit to the party and vote for them instead of like, no, here's what we can do for the people. Here's what we'll fight for. You know, it's like vote for us because Republicans are bad instead of vote for us because we're going to fight for Medicare for all and, and a Green New Deal and a living wage and, and 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 fight against this corrupt capitalist system. They'll never do that. And so they use the fear of Republicans to say, that's why you got to vote for us. And then they get into power. And what do they do? They govern just like Republicans. Republicans. So the fear mongering isn't working anymore because a lot of people are starting to wake up and be, be like, well, you've told every every election cycle, my entire life, I'm 41 now, every election cycle, the Democrats have been telling me that you have to vote for us or democracy will die. I, I, re I remember the 2004 election, celebrities were wearing voter die t-shirts. Well, guess what? I've done that every election until 
until 2016, I did that. I, I voted for Democrats, like a good little obedient Democrat. And guess what? Like nothing changed. Nothing's gotten better. And that's because we don't have democracy in America. That's because, because we have an oligarchy and because we have two parties that serve the ruling class and big business. And so when these elections happen, when it's Democrats versus Republicans, the people aren't winning the elections. Uh, the oligarchs are winning. Big business is winning. The people who fund both of these corporate parties are winning our elections. So we have to educate people and inform them that if you're voting Democrat or Republican, you're just voting uh, for, for essentially for the ruling class to keep the system rigged as it is uh, against everyday people. And so we're not winning the election. So in order to win, we've got to push back and fight against these two corrupt parties. We've got to push back and fight against this corrupt capitalist system. And, and we've got to fight in a very grassroots way for the kind of uh, policies that we need to bring the dignity and justice we all deserve. And we, we're never going to do that inside of the uh, inside of the system that will preserve itself and protect itself at all costs. I, I totally agree. A hundred percent. There's nothing that either of you guys said that I didn't agree with. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating, right? Cause like, how do we, how do we get people to to stop voting against their their own best interest? It used to be back in the day. I don't know if you ever read the book um, "What's the Matter with Kansas" by Tom uh, Thomas Frank. Really, really. Oh, good I love book. Thomas Frank. I read yeah. "Listen Liberal," which I love. "Listen Liberal." That I actually have it on my on my list, my queue of of. Uh- to read. <laughs> oh gosh, read that. I mean, he just nails it. He nails the yeah. complicity of the Democratic Party and of comfortable liberals uh, and, and how they, you know, they constantly point at conservatives for being the ones who preserve our system while they're doing just the same thing. You know, they are protecting their wealth and power and privilege just as much as the conservatives do. To- totally. And it used to be that, you know, like you'd, you'd wonder why people uh, like, say, in Kansas or wherever were voting like the working class were voting for Republicans. Why are they voting against their, their best interests? Um, and it's like, what is it? God's guns and gays or that, that, that slogan yeah. that used to be. And now, and now it's like really begs the question, well, why, why are people voting for either party? And, yep. and it's right. So it's, but I feel like there has to be, there has to be some electoral wins, at least on a, you know, even on a local level. And, you know, Yes, it's great. We've got a socialist in, you know, the city council, um, in Seattle. And, but it's like, we don't have any, we don't have any greens in Congress. We don't have any, like, the greens have won some, the, the greens have won some good local elections, but you're right. I mean, they, right. they haven't like won I, enough. Yeah, the state yeah, level. They've won some state level yeah. elections. Um, but you're right. right. Which I is mean, important. But the sure. other thing is like, well, how are we going to, how are we going to get, greens or socialists elected into congress <laughs> when everyone is still funneling uh all of their time yeah. energy and resources into the squad right and into that because someone added it up they did a great analysis yeah. it 127 million dollars has been spent over the last six years on bernie's campaigns and on giving money to aoc and and the squad 127 million dollars that's a lot of money and so i think that the reason we're starting to see kind of an impasse and change right now is because the movement is split. Half of the movement kind of wants to continue to go the reforming the Democratic Party route. And the other half is like, 
We see the Democratic Party for what it is. It's you cannot reform a party that's owned by Wall Street that exists to protect the status quo and exists to serve the ruling class. They work against our interests. We have to do something else. And a lot of people don't want they don't. First off, they don't want to admit that they've been lied to. I think that was why I stayed a Democrat for 18 <laughs> yeah, years. Like It was decades. really hard for me. When I <laughs> left the Democratic Party after the 2020 primary, after I voted for Bernie for the last time, like... And, and now I'm no party, you know, I'm no party preference, but, and I consider myself an independent socialist. But the, but when I did that, like that was, it was hard for me, like, because it's hard to admit that you've been betrayed, right? Nobody wants to admit that they, you know, I, gosh, I voted for, and campaigned for Obama. Like I thought he was going to be the change, you know, I, I, I played that game for so many years and it was really hard to accept that. The Democrats are not who they say they are. But when you finally see it and look, just run the numbers like in 2020, the Democrats took and spent more corporate money than the Republicans did. The Democrats raised seven billion dollars in the 2020 election cycle uh, for between Congress and the president presidential elections where the Republicans raised and spent five billion dollars. OK, you have to just ask yourself. A political party that that raises and spends seven billion dollars to get power are never going to represent the people's interests. Like what we have between the Democrats and Republicans is literally a battle for who gets to control the American empire so they can basically profit off of the exploitation and endless wars and corruption of our system. And that's why you see like after the Democratic election cycle and after Biden won, you saw all the people jockeying for positions because they want to get in there just like the Trump people did. And so you see Democrats calling out the Trumps for all their corruption. Look at someone like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. They've made a hundred million dollars by selling false hope to the people. They've done the same thing that the Republicans do. They use our system to enrich themselves. And, yeah, and they're and the real grifters. They really are the real <laughs> grifters. Even though they, and they pose as our allies the whole way. And they've mastered the art oh. of like giving great <laughs> speeches. And and Ugh. they have speech writers. And I mean, shoot, Obama won a uh, won a uh, an award for marketing for his campaign. I mean, so like they're masters at it, but you have to understand what they're doing. They're getting people yeah to to continue to support the system so the people won't ever fight for anything better. And so I would say if we do want to live in a better world and a more equal world, that we're going to have, we can't vote for the Democratic Party anymore. We have to fight back against the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And that takes a lot of courage. And, and again, for me, the hardest part was admitting that I'd been betrayed and lied to. And I think that's a, that's hard for a lot of people. And I think the other thing we have to be honest about is there are just enough people in America. They're just enough comfortable liberals and conservatives to keep the system afloat. And what I mean by that is like roughly 140 million Americans are poor or low income. And so when you look at who votes in a presidential election, usually voter participation is about 50 percent or 46 percent, like on a, on a good year. And when I used to kind of buy into the system, I remember thinking like, oh, I can't believe that half of America doesn't vote. You know, how could 140 million people not vote every election cycle? Well, the 140 million people who aren't voting aren't voting because they know that whether the president's blue or red, they're still poor <laughs> and living, you know, they're still poor, or low income. They realize that the system isn't made for them, doesn't benefit them. And they're, and so they're not going to buy into it. And so yeah. 
we need to actually to... give them someone and to vote for and and a cause to support. Right. And, 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 and that's and that's what the Democrats do. They they try they kind of rob us of that hope by yeah. putting people like Obama and and to a smaller degree, Bernie, like who gives people real hope and then sell us out to Wall Street. And so they were never going to let Bernie win. I mean, even no, even in 2020, so. when it was I was up in New Hampshire volunteering, spent a lot of time up there and. And I was like, you, you could almost want to, you know, like taste it, the victory. But I was like, no, no, no. Some, I tasted it no right after Nevada. I thought we might, I thought after Nevada, I thought, okay. And then I yeah, saw Super Tuesday. And then what, what ended up really happening that never gets discussed is MSNBC and CNN gave Joe Biden $90 million worth of free earned yeah. media after he yeah. won, after Biden won one primary. And it was three days before Super Tuesday. So that, again, it's not just the yeah. Democrats' uh, fundraising apparatus. It's not just the fact that the DNC has super delegates, has corporate lobbyists who serve on the DNC board, who are literally have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. But it's also the corporate media who are in alliance with these two parties, right? CNN is in alliance with the Democrats, as well as NB MSNBC. And Fox News is in an in in alliance with Republicans. And these two parties, uh, these two media apparatuses, along with the two parties, do everything they can to preserve the status quo that, that is benefiting, you know, the, the the one percent. And so that's really what we're fighting against. That's what Bernie was always fighting against. And it's a hard fight, but you can beat that uh, corporate institutional power with people power. So I think that's why we stay in the fight. That's why as frustrating as it is and you're right. Burnout is a real thing. I even get burned out. But I just in my heart of hearts, I know that like the system cannot keep going like this, that like we cannot keep living in a system that continues to push more and more people down where more and more people are dying because they don't have health care, where these endless wars, you know, now now we've gone from Afghanistan to now we're supplying weapons. Uh, basically fighting a proxy war against Russia. Like we cannot continue to do this. Like the system is is going to crack at some point. And so we've got to keep building these movements so we can get enough people to make some real impact. And if you can get, you know, a real third party in there or build real um, dual power and build direct action, like our friends Rome is doing and the Revolutionary Blackout Network is doing, like the people can win and we can build a society that works for everyone. But that society is ne is at odds with the society that the ruling class and the giant corporations have built with these two corporate parties that is basically exploiting uh, half the country so they can reap the rewards up to up at top. And I think, uh, you know, we'll keep fighting. And again, Betsy, thank you for for calling mm -hmm. in. I think we have another caller. Uh, let's take them. Uh, Pedro. Pedro, can you hear us? Uh, Pedro, I Pedro. Can you hear me? Uh, I, I, Ryan, sorry. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, okay, I just wanted to say that I agree with you. So uh, my question is, what is the solution? So what do you think uh, is the solution to all those problems? I mean, I would think it's like some something related to the electoral system. But uh, just a general question. What, what, what do you think is, is the solution? Well, I think one thing that, that the the gains that we've seen in the past couple months, I'm going to say, from Amazon and Starbucks unions um, popping up throughout the country, I think this is a huge moment 
for the working class, and I would love to see there be more buy-in and emphasis from... If we're going to have alternative third parties winning elections, I think they need to be doing everything they can to be getting on the ground with these unions, helping, like, if the, the Green Party in each state says, look, we're going to work on our unionization efforts throughout the country, and every local office goes and finds the nearest Starbucks or Amazon center and says, look, we want to help you guys unionize too, and we're not going to just come in and ask for your vote at the end, but... There's a there's a chance. We're seeing that, by the way. Uh, Shama's flying to New York to go be with the Amazon Labor Union, and we're seeing Socialist Alternative uh, as an independent uh, socialist party in Seattle that's supporting the Starbucks workers. But I agree with Rob. Like the the parties have to be uh, with the working class, fighting and helping them unionize. Uh, I think that's very important. Yeah, and and like I said, I think education is key. Just getting people to kind of wake up. And not keep yeah, – if we could get people to turn off their MSNBC, their Fox News, their CNN uh, and realize that like they are getting paid by Big Pharma to run ads. They are being paid by the military-industrial complex to run ads. Their pundits are not pushing solutions that the people want. They don't have pundits going up every day talking about how popular taxing the rich and Medicare for all is because that's not who's paying them. And so I think once once the people can – the working people of this country can gain the sort of uh, you know class consciousness and class solidarity. I think that's going to be a huge uh, launching pad for a, a grassroots movement because we saw during the Black Lives Matter protests there is a lot of people that are willing to be involved in a movement, and we saw that there was a lot of time and energy and money that went into it. And unfortunately, it, it looks like a lot of the the higher end of the national circles for black lives matters didn't really represent what the local chapters wanted. And, and there weren't any tangible demands made about defunding the police as like the headliners. It was very much just black lives matter. Okay. But where's your call to action? Where are your demands? And I know there were groups that were on the ground demanding it, but they weren't the ones that got the public attention. So people will be on the streets. Uh, would love to see it for, for a lot of things in the upcoming years and the upcoming few years to guarantee us a quick access to free education, canceling student debt, guaranteed health care, uh, renewed uh, climate change uh, movement to, to help sustainability in the planet. Um, I think those are going to have to be key. And uh, I also want to make sure that we get to Josh. I'm Wait, I just want to add in one thing oh, yeah, too, yeah. and then we'll get to Josh. Um, because you brought up a good point, Pedro, about the elections, uh, because w the reason that the Democrats and Republicans fight so hard against third parties, uh, the reason you see the Democrats suing, they, they sued in 2020 to kick the Green Party off the ballot in several states. Uh, the reason they fight so hard against third parties is because what we have at, at the federal level is we have two parties who've written laws that are literally rigged to enrich the ruling class. So we have things like Citizens United, uh, which allows corporations to basically and billionaires to uh, have super PACs and basically buy elections uh, because they can raise endless amounts of money. You know, we have we have uh, laws that, that basically enshrine corporate greed where uh, billionaires pay just a fraction of the taxes they should pay you know all of the all of the inequality you see in society it's rigged and baked into our laws right it's baked into and so what we need is we need an independent 
socialist-minded party to get into power so they can write laws that are not rigged in favor of the billionaire class and in favor of uh, uh, the ruling class and in favor of these giant corporations, but actual laws that are that 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 are fair and balanced and that. Uh, allow everyone to have a dignified life and that laws that are pro-worker. And and right now we see the exact opposite because we've allowed our institutions uh, to be corrupted by corporate money. Uh, And so that is really, you know, and and, and it's hard. Like, why are the Democrats, the Democrats and Republicans are never going to reform the system because they profit off of this corrupt system, right? Right now, the Democrats and Republicans in Congress become millionaires, millionaires by... um, uh, representing corporate interests. So they're never not going to represent corporate interests. They're just going to go on TV and feed the working class a bunch of empty empty platitudes. Uh, that's what the Democrats do. And then the Republicans start all these culture wars and start, you know, kind of uh, attacking marginalized communities and, and trying to kind of get their base fired up. And so that's what we see. We see two parties who have no interest in governing for the people, no interest in serving anyone besides the rich and their corporate donors, and they've actually written laws now to enshrine this corruption. So we do need to unwrite these laws, and we do need to write better laws, but that's going to take a grassroots movement, uh, and, th- and that takes time. And it's going to take, again, if someone like a Bernie Sanders wanted to run independently, we could make a lot of change happen that way. You know, if, if we could get someone to run in the Green Party who has a high name ID, and can and can really take it to these two corrupt parties, we can make a lot of change that way. On the other end, we can also make a lot of change with movements, right? The, the biggest changes in this country have happened, like Rob said earlier, by people-powered movements. We saw that in the women's suffrage movement with women getting the right to vote. We saw that in the civil rights movement. Uh, uh, we saw that uh, also in, in the LGBTQ equality movement, where if people come together and they make demands, we can change the laws. We can change society. I think the, the movement we need to see now is we need to see everyone come together and demand dignity and justice for all people. And when I say all people, I mean poor and working class people, the people that are being pushed down by our capitalist system. We need an economic bill of rights where everyone has guaranteed health care, housing uh, and, and access and, and water and, and just basic human rights. And so that that can happen, but it, it, it's going to require us not falling for these culture wars, not allowing these two corporate parties to divide us. That's how they have their power right now. And, and, and what's interesting, if you look at the uh, there was a there was a, a, a poll yesterday, a Gallup poll. Congress right now has a 21 percent approval rating. The Democratic controlled Congress. Sometimes these parties have so much power. They, and if you turn on corporate media, you think, oh, we could never beat them. The, the, the public despises both of these parties. Both Democrats and Republicans are wildly unpopular. A 21% approval rating for a Democrat-controlled Congress. Joe Biden's approval rating is 33%. So the people want something better. They want. They don't like these parties. They want a, a society that's more equal and, and more balanced. But we don't have a path yet to get there because... Uh, they keep us divided. And as long as they keep us divided, it's divide and conquer, the old playbook. So we have to remember solidarity amongst the, the multiracial working class, solidarity amongst anyone who believes in dignity and justice for all people. That is how we win a better world, not by continuing to, to, to buy into this rigged oligarchy and to allow them to divide uh, and conquer the people even more. Uh, do you want to get to Josh? Yeah, uh, Richard, I just want yeah. to give you one chance to respond. Yes. Uh, oh, so Pedro, I, go ahead. Yeah, I have a quick comment, if I may. Please. Uh, 
So uh, I am originally from Portugal and uh, we have a different uh, electoral system. So I think the name is called proportional. Uh, so there is a very low threshold for anybody to to uh, make a political party. I think it's maybe 5,000 signatures or something like that. So anybody can make a political party and there, there are actually election laws that they have uh, equal access to the media, like public media. So the, the result is we have a parliamentary system where is a big, uh, a big uh, latitude. So we have like what you, what any reasonable American would call the extreme left to, to the basic to the right. So we have uh, communists, uh, Marxists, even Marxist-Leninists, and, uh, and then we have just uh, nationalist, nationalist parties on the right. Uh, so, uh, so uh, in the United States, I think we need like a basic structural reform regarding that, but that, can, o- that can only be achieved with uh, laws. But the problem is, yep. la- la- the problem is, like you said, Ryan, uh, the system is is not designed for to make those laws because the people in power don't allow that. Correct. So, so I agree with you. Okay, what's the solution? People go to the streets, but would that work? Maybe yes, maybe not. I, I, actually, I think not because you, did you see Black Lives Matter? Like, what happened? They they burn a couple of things. What was the response? More brutality and more repression. So uh, there is hope, uh, hope like uh, independent, like Bernie Sanders making some noise, Nina Turner try to to reform the system from within. Uh, so yeah, that's basically what what was my comment. So well, thank you so much, Pedro and Bondi. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and and gosh, I'm so envious of Portugal's uh, electoral system where you guys actually have Marxists elected. I mean, that would that would bring so much balance to our system where, because right now we have, we don't have a true socialist elected uh, into the Congress. I mean, even Bernie is, is not really a, a, a true socialist. He's, you know, more of a democratic socialist where he believes in capitalism with strong social programs, you know, like Medicare for all. But, you know, so basically right now we have two right-wing parties. And if we just had a true left, uh, and, and not this kind of corporate extremism that pretends to be left, we would already be a much more balanced society and on our way. Uh, and, but yes, Pedro, because of the rigged election laws, what it is going to take is a grassroots movement. And I think the thing is about grassroots movements is they, they, it, Black Lives Matter would have succeeded if, like Rob said, they had more tangible demands. But what ended up happening is they allowed the Democrats are masters of co-opting social movements. And the Democrats came in and told the basically it turned into like, oh, just vote for Biden and Kamala. And, and that's that's going to give you the change you want. And what have we seen? Biden and Kamala have given more money to police than even Trump did. They've increased the military budget more than even Trump did. And, and, and they they they've literally uh, more oil drilling in the first year than Trump did. So, I mean, it's like the same policies as Trump. The kids are still in cages. 
Uh, we've just shifted our endless wars now uh, into fighting this proxy war against Russia. And so the imper imperialism is continuing. Um, and so it's 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 really the same. It's just Trump with a better mask on. You know, Biden is essentially blue Trump where he's literally Donald Trump, but he's just saying some nicer things on television and there's no mean tweets. And for comfortable liberals who have enough money in their bank accounts and have health care, that's enough. Like all they care about is just feeling better. But for people who are living at the margins, they don't give a crap about platitudes on TV. They're, it's like, where's, where's healthcare? You know, I need to get food on my table. I need to put clothes on my child's back. You know, I want my kid to go to good education. I want to feel safe in my community. And just a, you know, a, a, a blue Trump spouting platitudes on CNN like Biden does. Um, you know, he gave a speech yesterday where he said that, he told Democrats, like, we're going to take we're taking America back. And I'm like, do you guys understand who are you taking America back from? You got, Democrats control the House, Senate and White House. You're taking the country back like you're in power. What are you doing with your power? You're doing nothing but enriching yourselves and your corporate donors. The same things Republicans do. So that's really the, the, the problem in our society is where the Democrats are stopping change. They are fighting against progress, not fighting for progress. And until more people realize that fact, um, we're going to be in this endless cycle of going back and forth between, you know, right wing fascism and that's red and right wing fascism that's blue. I mean, the Democrats are just as fascist as the Republicans. They're just more covert about their fascism and their racism. They're sneakier about it. They haven't done anything for the black community, for the marginalized communities that, that put them in power. In fact, they've stabbed them in the back. But because they pander to them with platitudes, it deceives a lot of people into thinking they have their back. And I don't think there's anything worse than kind of using the pain of marginalized people to get power and then selling them out when you have power. And that's really the business model of the Democratic Party. So we have to keep speaking truth to it and we have to keep demanding better. And if and, and that's what movements have to do. They have to demand policies that are going to improve marginalized people's lives. That's progress. Progress isn't just putting elevating one marginalized person into a position of power, like putting a black person in the Oval Office. Progress is actually improving the lives of black and brown people and gay people and all poor and working class people. That's progress. But they've kind of co-opted that with this tokenism, thinking like, well, if we put, you know, if we elevate a marginalized person into power, then people will think, oh, God, that's change. No, that's not change. You're not improving marginalized people's lives by just putting one marginalized person in control of the corrupt system that pushes down on marginalized people. So we've got to get away from that, that idea. That's what liberals think progress is. It's very superficial. It doesn't treat the actual wound. It's just the, it's optics. It's all about, it's almost like they're producing a movie. Uh, you know, it's all an illusion. It's a lie to just continue this corrupt system. And I think we're at a point now where that's not good enough anymore. We deserve better and we need to demand better. Let's uh, get to our final caller, Josh. And then I just looked, gosh, Rob, it's an hour and 24 minutes. So we got to wrap up. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. If you unmute yourself, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, I also have work in a little bit, so I I don't have too much time to respond, but I, I definitely want to be able to respond to uh, any questions or comments you have. So go, Josh, go ahead. All right. Hey guys, uh, how's it going? Uh, yeah, my name is Josh. Uh, I run a socialist uh, opinion blog, uh, the socialist magazine. I follow Ryan. Ryan follows me on Twitter and I try to interact frequently with him. Um, my main, my main thing is it's kind of like puzzling what to do because mm -hmm. 
as somebody who's running a kind of media promoting socialism, you're caught in this kind of in between of you're not welcome on either the Democrat side or the Republican side. And they control so much of every media outlet that trying to get your word out anywhere will just get you into a brick wall, it feels like. Mm. Because, like I said, both sides will give you the hate for it. Like, uh, like I was describing earlier, I tried to run an ads campaign for my blog, and both Google and Microsoft, because I'm running a socialist blog, suspended my account immediately mm. for violations of the policy. So it makes it really hard to get the word out. And then, like, part of me, if it seems a little radical, but like, I, I can't see how we can reform something through democratic means when this isn't a democratic system. Correct. Because it's not a democratic system. It's, nope. there's no possible way an election can be fair or chosen by the people when every media outlet, every resource, every billions and billions of dollars is both funneled in to either or party as long as it crushes the party that opposes the elite. And they don't care which one it is as long as the people that are actually going to represent the people don't get elected. And I find it really difficult to figure out what to, I guess, do to get people's support because, you know, all these years of brainwashing from uh, the Cold War and so forth has just let anybody who might get your message to almost immediately try to reject it and shut it down. Well, the, the good news I have for you, Josh, is I think a lot of the, the resistance that, that we face in terms of ideology is coming from older generations. And I think it is one of the, the few bright spots is that younger generations are more and more accepting of socialism and communism and are realizing that capitalism has never worked for them historically. It will never work because conditions, it's getting harder and harder for a young person to buy a house. It's getting harder and harder for young people who are told their entire lives, you have to go to college to graduate, have tens of thousands of dollars in student debt, and then not be able to find a job, especially not a job that's going to pay you living wages and you're straddled mm -hmm. with debt. And so I, I, I empathize with you, man. I'm, I'm starting my MFA program in August. And part of my goal is I want to be a teacher and teach media literacy and help condition people to say that like there's a large section of our population that they flip on the news and they think they're being informed. And it's not that you can't find any real information on the news, but you have to understand that like where these, these channels are getting their funding from is advertising. And so you're mm -hmm. not going to have someone on a panel trashing the military industrial complex when you have Raytheon and Lockheed Martin paying for advertising. Right. You're not going to have someone to come on and trash the military when you're running ads from the U.S. military. And it's part of the, the budget of the United States for, for you know, promotion of, of the armed services. So I think that a big part of it is younger people, when I talk to them, are significantly more receptive. It is, again, a Sisyphusian effort at times, it feels like, where we're just pushing that boulder up the up the mountain and it just it's not moving very much and then you take your foot off the gas for a split second and you're all the way back at the bottom but i really think we have to win uh you know the the information war unfortunately i don't really like using that term because i mean the u.s literally says that that's what they're trying to do in russia is there's articles being published of how even things that the intelligence agencies say well it's not high confidence that 
that this is true. They're reporting it to try to get out ahead of Putin, you know? So like there is a very (laughs) well-paid group of people that want to make sure that people are thinking a certain way. And I think as more and more people turn away from cable news, as more and more people turn away from a lot of the traditional sources that for good or for bad have had a lot of legitimacy added to them, right? The New York times is considered the, the paper of record, right? And they have been pro imperialism, pro war since long before I was born. So I think it's, it's going to be informing others. And again, the, if you have a good message, it's sometimes very hard for people to listen, um, especially if what you're telling them is in direct conflict to what they've been told their entire lives, but you have to just keep putting the truth out there and eventually uh, hope that enough times people will see that, well, you know, I was told there were weapons of destruction in Iraq and there wasn't. And then I got duped again because they told me this was happening in Syria. And then they told me this was happening here and this was happening there. And after about four or five times, I realized that a lot of these things that they were convincing us of was absolutely false. And so when you can bring up those contradictions, it, it makes people at least pause for a second. And the goal isn't to only have people watch the news that I put out. The goal is to have people educated enough to know when they're being lied to, to know that you want to call anything coming out of Russia, Russian propaganda. Well, what do you call anything coming out of Ukraine? Is that not Ukrainian propaganda? Every, right. Everything that comes out has a spin. Everything is Or everything coming out of the United States corporate media. It's it American propaganda. It has an intention of, of informing people one way or another. So the secret isn't to tell people you can only watch this for your news. You can only watch that. The secret is finding a way to kind of lift the wool over people's eyes to see you do have choices. You can think freely and you should not be talked down to or dismissed. If you don't agree with whatever is being said, questioning ideas is a huge part of not only democracy, but just, growing as a person and critical thinking. So if we can continue to try to educate the people who may be misinformed in certain areas, you know, they don't always appreciate it, but eventually you do kind of place a a seed of doubt in their mind and they have to start thinking, well, you know, should I really trust this source that's lied to me this many times? And we, for now, I mean, I would love if, if we had like, uh, a television station that millions and millions of people were watching every day, but you, it's it's hard to use the system to beat the system. Um, and ultimately the kind of money that it needs to take to get the eyeballs that you want is, is not found from just grassroots movement. It oftentimes it's why the vast majority of our media is controlled by billionaires because they're the ones that can afford to, to pay for it, to, to make sure that there's plenty of eyes and ears on whatever content they put out. And now yeah. also like Josh, just uh, first off, thank you for running uh, this magazine. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, you know, one of the things that has driven my activism is to understand, like, it's hard to separate it because like you want to do, you want to win, right? We want to win victories for working people. We want to win a, a better world, but you don't do the right thing necessarily uh, just because you want to win, you you do the right thing because it's the right thing. And and because he, the way I feel about it is eventually the system is going to break, that we're going to, that, that the best kind of argument for socialism 
right now is capitalism, right? Is because look at it. It's, it's, it's not, it's working for the people that it was set up to work for. It's working for the ruling class. It's, it's working for upper class liberals and conservatives. It's not working for anybody else. The majority of this country, 62% of American workers said in a poll last week that, that their wages are not enough to keep up with the rising cost of, of living in this country. So that's two thirds of American workers, uh, that, that are struggling right now in, in this capitalist system. So, you know, Karl Marx said it best that capitalism tends to destroy its two primary sources of wealth, uh, nature and human beings. You know, capitalism is literally destroying us. It's eating us away. It's consuming our people. It's consuming our planet. So there is a great opportunity for, for us to have an awakening, uh, on this planet and for us to move and to shift our thinking from a thinking that's that's based on greed and based on individualism to a system that is based on uh you know collectivism and dignity and justice for all people and a system that is about putting our people and our communities communities and our planet uh over the endless profits of, of corporations like I think there's a real thirst and hunger for it. And so we keep fighting no matter what. You know, I try to stay out of the results. I, I try to avoid the, you know, I always say principles before personalities, um, policies before politicians. Know what you're fighting for and, and fight from the heart. And if you do that, like more people will come along. Like I didn't get people didn't follow me on Twitter because like I had a lot of money because I didn't like people followed me on Twitter because I just started sharing what was in my heart. And it sounds so fucking corny, but it's true. Like, and I just, I, I kind of shared like what I was going through when I realized how corrupt the Democrats were. And then other people would write me like, Oh my God, I've always thought that. Like I voted for them for 18 years and nothing got better. Like, and I finally saw that they just, you know, empty platitudes don't put food on my table and don't, guarantee me health care and aren't paying my bills like so why am i fighting to defend a party that's not even fighting for me and so people are starting to get it they are waking up and what you're doing it might not feel like you're making an impact but you are making an impact and we're not going to dismantle the the system by using the tools of the system right we're not going to dismantle it by like getting jobs at wall street or being funded by wall street or joining the democrat or republican parties we're going to do it by is is unsexy as it sounds, but by building grassroots movements, by building independent media, by building the socialist magazine that you're building. And if there's one thing I will tell you is any kind of publication in this country that calls itself left, that's really not left, it's because they ended up selling out to one of the major parties, which is usually the Democrats. Like there are a lot of people who say they're independent or say they're socialist when there's nothing independent or socialist about them because they just shill for the Democratic Party and they're going to be telling people to vote for the Democratic candidate when they rig the primaries against AOC in 2024. You know, because AOC will do everything right. She'll she'll abide by the system. She'll cooperate with the DNC and then they, they will do exactly Exactly to her what they did to Bernie. They will never even allow, they won't even allow democratic socialism in their party. They won't allow any, like, forget about being a revolutionary party. They're an anti-reformist party. They don't even support in a moment in history when income inequality is at record highs, the Democratic Party doesn't even support strong social reforms. They will not vote on Medicare for all. They will not support a Green New Deal. They won't even support a living wage. We couldn't even get a living wage passed in the Senate. And 
And for anyone who still defends this, Kamala Harris had a right to overrule the parliamentarian. The vice president of this country has a right to overrule the Senate parliamentarian. And Kamala Harris chose not to. Okay, that would have been the easiest victory for her to just do that. And the reason that she did not overrule them is because the Democrats work for the CEO class and for big business and big business doesn't want there to be a living wage because they can't. That cuts into their profits because they want to exploit the workers as much as possible and paying everyone a living wage eats into their exploitation. It eats into their business model. And so. That is what we're up against. We have to keep fighting, understanding what we're fighting for and building solidarity amongst each other. Even like I still have a lot of comrades who th who still are who are going to vote for Democrats in 2024. I disagree with them, um, but I don't I try not to hate them now. I, I, I've had some public disagreements, but I try not to spew personal venom. I save all my venom and all my like calling out for the actual people who are corrupt, right? For the Democratic Party, for Joe Biden, uh, and for people who say they have our backs and don't, you know, sometimes you have to call them out too. people like AOC and the squad. But I don't call out any, you know, labor unions or any activists or advocates who are on our side. The people know what's right. The working class knows what's right. We just have to keep fighting, even if it's hard, even if it feels insurmountable. There's going to be a tipping point. There always is throughout history. There's always a tipping point. The, the capitalist class and the ruling class can only exploit the people for so long before the people finally rise up and say enough. We saw that. We've seen that throughout history. We've seen that the, 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 the reason revolutions happen is because of, of high levels of inequality. And right now we are seeing one of the highest levels of inequality in human history, where the difference between, you know, just a working class person's wealth and someone like Jeff Bezos is higher than it's ever been. So that's what we're seeing so much interest in socialism in this country. Again, it's a good thing. It will bring balance. It will actually hold the capitalists accountable for their greed and their corruption. We just have to keep fighting. And, and not getting burnt out. And um, I think Rob has to get moving. But this has been an awesome podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, and, and I hope you join us next week as well. Great questions um, today, everyone. So thank you. And, and Josh, I hope you have a great uh, rest, of, rest of your day. And uh, solidarity, my friend. I'm glad to be in the struggle with you. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week.